One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast. Code acast. Today on Truth and Movies, the Disney Summer Stampede continues with Jon Favreau's ultra-realistic, star-studded CGI update of The Lion King. It's a lion! Run for your life! Then we salute the legendary French filmmaker Agnes Varda by discussing her final work, the retrospective Varda by Agnes. And in Film Club, we look back at Varda's 2008 autobiographical essay film, The Beaches of Agnes. To love cinema is to love Jacques Demy, painting... Well, coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here in the host chair this week, sitting across from Hannah Woodhead of Little White Lies. Hello. And Kelly Weston. Hiya. Kelly, it's been a while. How are you doing? It has been a minute. It's great. I'm happy to be back, especially for this particular You're episode. You're becoming the Agnes Varda correspondent. You are yes, here for the truth. Yes, it's and, what I want. Yeah, the... I love her. I love her so much. <laughs> it was Cleo 5 to 7 that we talked about that time in yes. the film club. Yes, it was. I'm not talking about that this week. No. We're going to talk about The Lion King very shortly, if you can bottle the emotion for a little bit longer. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but first, we have some correspondence from Stu Siddons, who says, Love the pod. It's totally re-engaged me with film after we fell out since the start of the great franchise wars. I felt the need to get in touch after the unprovoked assault on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou in the last episode. I audibly exclaimed in reflexive spasm <laughs> at the throwaway, It's like if Oh Brother, Where Art Thou were good. Which is contracted to Obwat. Obwat. Let's make Obwat happen. <laughs> Stu says, I'm not a totalitarian monster, but how can such a statement slip through without even the slightest examination? It's such a beautiful and funny and gentle movie. It doesn't deserve to be treated this way. To borrow from the rest of the canon, <laughs> this aggression will not stand, man. I agree. I concur. Kelly, are you an Obwat fan? Absolutely. I love that film. <laughs> um, but I mean, we were also just speaking about casual, controversial takes from David Jinx. <laughs> an iconic man <laughs> I was meant to do last week's podcast and I couldn't because I was ill and he just went hog wild with, with <laughs> the hot it's takes. all your fault Hannah it's my, I my think fault I'm David sorry Stu was perhaps drunk with power he was on yes. four episodes in a row he had to say something we'll take him off bench him for a few weeks and teach him some humility <laughs> and, uh, I, I, yeah I'm quite shook that he, he disrespectful that. So, the, the disrespect on George Clooney's name I, right? I, I, really the only good film George Clooney has made if we're being Wow, well, there's another hot take. Let's <laughs> keep just, the hot takes going. Stu, do you agree with Kelly there about George Clooney's re- track record? Let, let us know. <laughs> or if anyone else wants to let us know about these hot takes, you can do so at the usual channels, at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email, or at the comments section at lwlies.com 
slash podcast. But enough about Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Let's get to this week's films. Up first, we have the remake of The Lion King. Twenty-five years after the overwhelming box office success of The Lion King comes this cutting-edge CGI reboot from director John Favreau. If you were a child in the last two and a half decades, it's likely you already know the story. A lion cub called Simba is exiled after his father, King of the Pride Lands, is killed by his treacherous uncle Scar. But he sings a few songs, makes a couple of friends, and learns some important lessons along the way before returning to take pride of place as king. Famous voices in this version include Beyonce, Stuart Ledgerford, and Donald Glover, as well as Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen as Tamoon and Pumba, who we hear in this clip. I missed them! I'm gonna get one of those vultures one day! I'm gonna get one! I don't know why it's so important to you. I just feel like it would make me feel better! <gasps> oh no, it's a little lion! That is not a lion. Well, then go check it out. What is that it? That is not a lion. It's a furry bird. It looks like a lion. Yeah, that's not a lion. Let me get a closer look. Excuse me. Oh, all right, let me see what we're dealing with here. It's a lion! Run for your life, Pumba! Wait, 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 It's a little lion! It gets bigger. Can we keep him? Can we please keep him? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I promise. I'll walk him every day. If he makes a little mess, I'll clean it up. You'll I'll be, be his little mess. He's going to eat you and then use my body as a toothpick. But one day, when he's big and strong... He'll be on our side. I've got it. What if he's on our side? Hear me out! Having a ferocious lion around might not be such a bad idea. Well then, can we keep him? Yes, of course we can keep him! Well, My God, who is the brains of this operation? We're gonna name him Fred. <laughs> There's a little bit of a laugh there from uh, Hannah. I think, <laughs> I think Tavon and Pumper are the only good part of this movie. I'm a big Billy Eichner fan anyway. Oh, he is, so. uh, yeah, one of the reasons to turn up, maybe. I've not seen this film yet. Kelly, why <laughs> remake The Lion King? Does this film make it an excuse for its own existence? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, first of all, it's a shot-for-shot remake. I remember being in the screening with you, Hannah, mm. and us looking at each other within the first few minutes of the film. They literally recreated every single shot from the beginning, from Circle of Life. But also, I think, you know, Part of the argument for remaking these films of the Disney Renaissance, which, I mean, we'll we'll get into this a little bit more in a second because, again, these two films are, they're virtually identical, and so a lot of the same issues are coming up. The case that a lot of people are, are trying to make for remaking these early Renaissance films is, you know, they think maybe we can correct some of the problematic racial and gender Uh dynamics that were in those early films. And I suppose, but I don't think that Disney is really trying to do that. I mean, this is a very transparent money grab. (laughs) And nothing in this film is really... I mean, I guess they give Beyonce, who's (laughs) because she's Beyonce, who's voicing Nala, a little bit more to do. So um, Nala has more of an impact. Suppose Mm. I'm saying impact in air quotes. She has a lot of lines that sound like, you know, let's get in formation, ladies. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it... It's just not very good. And it's really sort of boring. I don't want to be a Lion King truther because, again, (laughs) I also have a complicated relationship with that early film. I did love it as a kid, but, uh, you know, again, it has a lot of problematic racial elements to it. And... It just is very shallow, and it's it's really ugly to watch because it is just about it just feel like it's about making money. So yeah, let's talk about how it looks. I've, I've seen it from the trailer and from the clips mm-hmm. I've seen, it's very ultra realistic, almost like those um, those Disney nature documentaries that they make. They've splashed out all this money to make 
what used to be wildly expressive animal characters look yes. as close to the real thing as, as possible. Does that work when they're singing Hakuna Matata and jumping up and down on logs? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's this great tweet that I saw like after the film screened in the States, and it was... It's visually stunning, but is that you're a nice guy, but of yeah. film criticism. <laughs> it's the thing you say when you haven't got anything else nice to say about a film. Yeah. And I can respect the technology and the amount of work that's kind of gone into this, but I don't understand why. Hmm. Like, there's something Adam says in his review, like, the story is about a singing lion. And <laughs> what is the benefit to making a singing lion photorealistic? Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I cannot fathom why they think this technology should be used for this purpose. Like, mm-hmm. why can't they make, you know, some stunning animated photorealistic film that isn't about lions, lions. who lions famously cannot emote? Right. Like. I mean, this is the thing. Like, I tried to be very objective about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I rewatched the original Lion King after we had seen this. And one of the things that makes something like the stampede sequence such an affecting set piece is because of the emotional tension between these three three characters. Obviously, it's comprised of all these different elements, so it is visually stunning. The music is great, but part of what really like draws you in, actually not even part, like the core of that sequence is this scared little lion cub and his scared dad and then Scar who's like scheming in the background. I don't even remember the stampede sequence from the Scooby Saw film on what was that Saturday? Yeah. I don't remember wow. it at all. Like uh-huh. I it just it completely just like went away um, because on a basic level these photorealistic lines can't emote like their mouths are moving and I mean again we're going to get into this but the voice acting again is really incongruous because their mouths are moving and their eyes aren't doing anything (laughs) and so yeah eyes are dead like muscles around their eyes nothing and so it just feels really weird to hear these very prominent voice actors prominent voices coming out of Mm. these talking lions so let's let's talk about that voice acting cast. They've gathered, you know, quite an incredible cast, including James L. Jones returning as Mufasa from yeah, the original I mean, film. This is like their kind of big money cast. All the mm. others, they've kind of like you know, in the Jungle Book, we had like Bill Murray mm. and Christopher mm. Vulcan, but this one's the kind of yeah, like this is the Avengers Assemble of, yeah. uh, of uh, Disney casts, and. I mean, I, I've already said I think that Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner are very funny and uh-huh. kind of riff off each other quite well. But the rest of the cast, I mean, even um, James Earl Jones just seems like he's like completely phoning it in. Like, mm-hmm. And I think John Oliver Zazu is like, and I adore John Oliver. I think that he is a great comedian and, oh God, I just wanted him to stop. Yeah, like, he everything was, I was like, He's kind of like doing his little like you know kind of ad libby bits but then he, when he does the song with Simba I just can't wait to be king John Oliver bless him can't sing yeah, at no. all and no. it was just like so cringe inducing and then of course like the whole like big casting here is Donald Glover and Beyonce and everyone's like yeah get those two together it'll be amazing Why? it is not amazing yeah, it's so, no. it's so can, flat can you feel the love tonight those, their voices just oh, aren't meant to go together right. and that's yeah. okay <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's like doing like a power ballad like, and she's that's great. He's that's phenomenal. He, yeah, he's just and like, he's, woo. At one. <laughs> yeah. He's at one. She's, she's at, at ten. ten. Yeah. He's at one. Like, and there's this, oh, there's a moment where the sort of like pinnacle moment in the film where Simba realizes he must return oh, to the gosh. pride mm-hmm. and take his place as king. And they've put this song in called Spirit, which is like a Beyonce original. Okay, but. I'm not going to yeah. disrespect Beyonce, but I'm going to let you do that. You know, Beyonce's Beyonce. 
But this song, like, it's you just like her it. going spirit. Like, I don't Ooh. understand. I have nothing I to not say understand. about that. I don't want the beehive in my mentions. <laughs> well, they'll find me. I mean, I I, no, I, I love her, but, like, I just don't know why they... I mean, I do know why. Yeah. I think it's that best original the song, Oscar. like, Oscar. Oh, okay. but, and, you know, she's kind of like EGOT and like, go That's for fine. it, go for it. I That's mean, I, I, maybe she'll respect. get it. I mean, I wish her the best. I, <laughs> I wish her the best with her future endeavors. Um, <laughs> we, but, yeah. Can we talk about Chewito Edge of Four? Because sure. again, I also want to preface this by saying Chewito Edge of Four has a, earned a lifetime of goodwill from me for Kinky Boots alone, yes. but also Dirty Pretty Things. He's amazing in that. He is. <sighs> How do I say this? <laughs> I love him. He's a he's a great performer. He's a great actor. When you're following up a performance as dynamic as uh, Jeremy Irons, who admittedly I was in love with for like 15 years, <laughs> but I promise that this is coming from an objective place. Okay. You really have to like do something different, like really assert yourself. And I think that he felt like I really have to lean into my gravitas Mm -hmm. and that is not what this role calls for because if you think about the original Jeremy Irons is having the time of his life like Chewila's playing this role so straight and it's so dull they've done the thing where they've given him a little bit of a backstory so it's like oh he was in love with Sarabi and that's how he got his scar because Mufasa gave it to him like who cares (laughs) like children are not asking these questions never (laughs) once as a child (laughs) did I think never once in 25 years Actually, did I think how does Scar get this scar? Actually, like a Joker star, like right? you want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> no, yeah, yes. <laughs> All the way through, like every time Scar was on screen, I was like, "What's happened to my camp icon?" Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. and they, there was a huge backlash when they announced the songs for the film, and then the very conspicuously absent from this was "Be Prepared," which yeah. is one of Disney's like ultimate like bangers. It's a yeah. great song, great Oof. song, great villain song. Like, it's phenomenal. It's you know, it's incredible. And they decided they weren't going to put it in the film, probably because he. He can't sing. Can't sing. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. They, you know, fans were like, "This is an outrage! You can't make the Lion King without putting Be Prepared." And so Disney were like, "Oh, okay, well, we're going to put it in. We're going to oh put it in." Goodness. But instead of like doing it fully and like going to town and making it a big set piece, they do it as some kind of like weird spoken word. Yep. Like oh. it's like <laughs> Scar's kind of explaining his grand master plan to the hyenas. <laughs> But then just like starts kind of like rhyming, <laughs> and the hyenas yeah. are like, "What?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Everyone in the, in the cinema is like, "Is this be prepared? Is this, is this what they're doing with yeah. be prepared?" And it's, it's just so upsetting. It's honestly <laughs> violent. Like it's not great. I mean, we were sitting there squirming in the cinema because it was just like I can't take credit for this joke, but before we started, Hannah said, "Scar slam poetry jam." <laughs> Right. I don't want to be here. I was just coming to the studio like for a pint. Yeah. I didn't know there was this happening tonight. That's the vibe that you get from this scene. Oh, <laughs> like, that's not what you want from The Lion King, right? No. You don't want to feel. But also because the Be Prepared is such a like ballad. Like, it's so forceful. And it's, it's yeah. just like, listen, we're getting ready to do a coup. Like, yeah, it's like. We're getting ready to kill the king. Right, exactly. And this is just very like muted. But I mean, on that note, it's really actually emblematic of a kind of bigger failure of of these films and also well, of, of The Lion King and this entire project of Disney's because it's really shallow as we said but 
Also, the energy in this film is so low mm. because, in large part, you can just do so much more with animation anyway. So even something like I Just Can't Wait to Be King, which ended up just as a song itself is is great and powerful and, and has a lot of energy, doesn't feel the same way in this film because you're just working within different parameters. Back to your original question, why? <laughs> why do we do this? It's awkward and upsetting for all around. I mean, I, maybe the kids seem to like it. I guess. I, I mean, I, I've seen better energy at kids' screenings. Okay. I think Disney have basically painted themselves into a corner with this one because I think that photorealistic animation only really kind of works when you have like a human there and it's kind of like you're noticing how well these two worlds come together. So like in The Jungle Book, the whole mm-hmm. reason it kind of works is because you have this like human child interacting with this amazing like landscape and these amazing animals. In this, because it is all just animated, they're having to work within the parameters of what a lion can actually do. Yeah. So a lion can't like build a pyramid of like flamingos and giraffes and things. <laughs> like it's trying to do two things and it can't do either well because it's you know these two worlds fundamentally don't go together David Attenborough documentaries do not go with like singing lions like it's just two different things and you go to them for different things you know I'm watching an animal documentary to discover something about the animal kingdom and a world that's different from my own and the science and the biology of it all I'm watching the Lion King because I want to see a singing lion I don't want those two (laughs) things necessarily to meet up at all right well, let's put some scores on this. I think you've made it quite clear what you think about this, but let's do it anyway. Oh Kelly, God. I'll come to you first in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. My anticipation was a one because we have the original. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, my days. I will give it a two in part because it's a technological achievement <laughs> and a lot of effort went into it. So, yeah, it gets a two for me. And on rewatch, a one. And if I could give it a zero, I would. But it's wow. a one, two, one. <laughs> yeah. So generous with that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe was at a three for anticipation. I wasn't, like, excited, especially after I saw the Hakuna Matata cliff and I was like, oh, yes. no, this looks bad. But, you know, I, I do like pretty much everyone in that film and I thought, you know, this could be kind of, like, fun. I think out of all the slated Disney projects, this was the one that seemed to kind of have the, the biggest cast and the most kind of talent going into it. I think John Favreau is a great director and mm. I really like Jungle Book. So I was at a three. I was like, okay, this could go either way. And then it sadly went the way that all the others have gone. Um, and it was like, yeah, I could two and enjoyment. I wasn't like actively like wanting to die but you know like <laughs> the bar is in hell that, that, was, that was the bar um wow. and then yeah it's like a one there is no circumstance in which i would ever want to watch this again i watched the lion king 2 after um having seen this and i was just like even this like cash grab sequel they made in the 90s is so much better than this mm. terrible cynical remake that doesn't exist for anyone as far as i can understand it so stay at home rewatch the original yeah. and maybe Lion King one and a half and two yeah I mean Lion King one and a half is basically Disney doing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and it's incredible <laughs> I, I love that movie I will go to bed for that any day of the week also I want to say real quick like justice for Rafiki like, uh-huh. he, yeah. he kind of like gets nothing I don't even think they say his name in the film they don't like, say his name also that actor John County uh, is a, a wonderful South African director and, and actor so oh. it's just a waste of his talent yeah. it's incredible and one of the few people from the continent in this film. Interesting. Yeah. Alas. To say that they've been like, yeah, this is like us re- re- righting some wrongs. Right. And like bringing in like a black cast. And right. then they just kind of 
don't do anything with that. Like, you know. But what can we expect? I'd love really? to hear from Jeremy Irons if he <laughs> would like to write into well, a little sounds like he'd like to <laughs> you know, spend, a, spend an afternoon with uh, Jeremy Irons, really. <laughs> I would! <laughs> so I suppose we'll have to wait and see if they go the, uh, the photorealistic route with The Little Mermaid, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, like. I, the word on the streets that Harry Styles is going to play Prince Eric uh, for that, so if that happens, I, will, I, I mean, my interest level was already at zero. And now it's gone to, like, minus six. Like, I don't want to watch Harry Styles do anything ever. Well, these films will never stop coming. No, no. <laughs> the circle and, of life will out, continue. Yeah. We're going to be on, like, Atlantis by next Christmas. You like, know what? The, the I had time for Atlantis. <laughs> Weirdly as a child. <laughs> anyway, that was The Lion King in cinemas this week. Up next, we're going to have a, a two-for deal with Agnes Varda, starting with her final film in cinemas this week, Varda by Agnes. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So yes, we've discussed Agnes Varda before on this podcast, namely her French new wave classic Clio from 5 to 7. But over her 60-plus year career as a filmmaker, photographer and artist, she created a diverse and pioneering body of work. Varda by Agnes, finished just before Varda died in March this year, stands as her final film, and it's something of a documentary snapshot, using excerpts from a series of lectures alongside clips from her films to offer personal insights into the unique creative mind of Agnes Varda. So... Hannah, I feel like I've seen more films in which Agnes Varda looks back at her career than the films from that <laughs> career. How do you describe Varda by Agnes, and is it essential, do you think? I mean, I was saying to you guys before we started doing the pod, I'm not massively into Varda. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to get attacked for that. But, <laughs> you know, I think she's fine from what I've seen of her. Like, I, I liked Cleo from 5 to 7, mm-hmm. and, you know, I've seen some of her other stuff and, like, it's fine. I have no like, you know, no problem with her. But I just, it's not necessarily my kind of thing. So for me, this really is like 
one for the fans. Like, I, right. I just don't know if I have the personal connection to Vada and Vada's work and the familiarity with her work to kind of get the most out of this. But, I mean, as a final film, I think it's pretty, like, you couldn't really ask for a better final film. This is, like, her basically looking back on this incredible career and this, like, incredible life that she lived and going film by film, basically, talking about how she made the films mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. sharing these really, like, joyful little anecdotes. You know, she talks about working with Robert De Niro, who's, like, her mm-hmm. hero. I was in um, Morocco last year for the film festival and Agnes Fado and Robert De Niro were both there doing oh. lectures. And there was nothing quite as charming as seeing, like, the way her face would light up whenever yeah. he came into a room. She was just like, yes! <laughs> Which is how all of us have felt about Robert Basically. De Niro at some point. And, um, yeah, so it is just kind of a really nice meandering sort of tour of her career and you know I think the impression I got from watching this is that she knew she was probably not Mm. not long for this world and decided to kind of do this retrospective but I think it's two hours long and unless you're kind of already pretty familiar with Vada's work you might not necessarily get the most out of it I don't know yeah Kelly I I feel you're the most familiar with Vada's work around this table (laughs) play better for you Yes. To be honest, I did watch this after I had rewatched Speeches of Agnes, which yeah. was one of the first... Actually, that was the first film, weirdly enough, to piggyback kind of off of what you're saying. That was the first film of hers that I'd seen when yeah. I was like 19 or 20. And again, Beaches of Agnes is a, a kind of a, a retrospective of her life up until that, at that point. Came out, I think, in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. But it was a film that really like swe- like really enticed me and swept me up into her work. And I think Varda by Agnes works in a similar way. I do think it's doing a distinct thing because it is it allows her to I think give more explicitly her philosophy of filmmaking, which is really pure and because you see how dedicated she is to intimacy and like how curious she is about people. Portraiture really is a huge recurring theme throughout her work. And she began as a, as a photographer and wanted to be, I think, a museum curator when she before she became a filmmaker. But her filmmaking is also about that, about sort of getting under people's skin. And she's not trying to categorize them, but because a lot of her films, like we did Cleo 5 to 7, Vagabond is about this as well. You don't really get a lot of context about that character. You just sort right. of get a snapshot of this girl's last few weeks of living. She's really generous and compassionate about people. She's not necessarily trying to, I guess, get to the ends of them, but, you know, just consider them and in the, in the moment where they are. And there's something really beautiful about that. And so I loved hearing her explain that in so many words. And, mm. and also about how, you know, her gaze is not voyeuristic. That's something I really appreciate mm. about her work, especially when she's doing her documentary. She's getting really close to people. But it is all about, like, you know, sort of translating the intimacy that she feels with these characters that she has either written herself or is following and trying to translate that to the audience, um, which I think she accomplishes in a, in a really interesting way. I find it really fascinating that we're watching these two films side by side because, they, yeah, they do cover such similar ground. They're both yeah. retrospective works made 10 years apart, a decade apart. In Vada by Agnes, she just describes Beaches of Agnes as being, as she was approaching her 80th birthday, mm. she felt she had to create something. Yeah. And that is completely there in the work. It's a restlessly creative piece where yeah. she's visiting all of these locations from her life, revisiting films, revisiting relationships, but then also in a creative way yeah. doing that. One of the, the centerpieces is that she talks about the film company she sets up that's named after her cat. And 
tries to describe that as almost a metaphorical beach of her own mm. after the the tradition of beaches like where she grew up or where she lived with her husband and so on right. over the years or in, went to uh, in California. And what they do is they actually dump tons of sand out in the main road outside their yeah. house <laughs> and everyone's wearing their They're swimming so costumes yeah. and answering phones and acting. It, it's bizarre, but, but <laughs> just so wonderful as well. Mm. Meanwhile, Vard by Agnes... Ten years later, she says she was approaching 90 at that point and didn't feel that restlessness in the mm-hmm. same way. And you can feel that. It feels like, how to describe it? There's a very popular series of, it's a video series that you can subscribe to called The Masterclasses. Oh, yeah. Where oh, they get yeah, yeah. And some sort of creative. Scorsese. Scorsese yeah, Neil Gaiman yeah. did one for writing. Herzog has done one. And it is like that because most of the footage is made up of these, this lecture tour she gave mm. where she's in an intimate setting talking, directly addressing the audience. And it's a very different relationship relationship to the camera to the finished piece because she's less a creative dynamic force putting these images together rather yeah. than someone who's narrating and then the images come from that yeah it's different it almost feels like um this is this might be show my age a little bit but if a great artist a musical artist remastered their entire back catalogue at mm-hmm. some point they might do a two cd best of with a couple of outtakes yeah. thrown in there to give you a primer and that's what Varda Bagnus feels like so you mentioned Robert De Niro Hannah that's from this film 101 Nights that Varda made in the early 90s which by all accounts was a humongous (laughs) flop but it sounds fascinating I want to go and dig it out I want to dig it I've not seen that I would love to see it as someone who is not a massive like Varda fan Mm -hmm. one of the things I found very charming about the film is the way she talks about like her unsuccessful the elements of her career that didn't pan out Mm -hmm. so like the way she talks about this film she's just like yeah it was a flop and that happened (laughs) you know she I think, what's the best word for it? Just her, like, very chill for us. And that's not the word I want to use, but, like, she's so kind of at peace with her Mm -hmm. career. And, like, Mm. obviously, I think, like, when she passed away, there was such a kind of outpouring of, like, grief and upset. But she seems like she was so kind of content with what Mm -hmm. she'd achieved and so, like, happy to have lived this incredible life and met these incredible people and the sense you get from it like we see her talking to her collaborators who come on stage and mm-hmm. talk to her and she does just seem to be this like force of nature that kind of affected all these people in all yeah. these ways you know which I think is interesting I think a lot of diehard Varda fans not myself personally but <laughs> a lot of people have really lamented the memification of her mm-hmm. in yeah, the yeah. last few years of her life her personality sort of lends to that because she is just so I hate this word it's the only word that's coming to my mouth she's quite you know quirky she's like offbeat it's kind of understandable because you know for most of her career she was this really transgressive filmmaker a lot of the critics really recoiled at her work Um, and she talks about a little bit regarding you know Le Bonheur and one sings the other doesn't and she says this as well her her filmmaking was actively political yeah and you can feel that, especially when you're watching her earlier films, something like Vagabond as well. I think it's interesting, actually, because we're talking about, or I spoke a little bit about portraiture and, you know, getting to the bottom of a person, is that, you know, she has, as you said, Michael, all of these really interesting stylistic flourishes. And it's not really, I think, today, the trend tends to be, you know, more stylized, less substance. Mm-hmm. And all of her style choices are really in service of, of you know, like creating a full portrait of somebody. Or, and that's great. But you, there's, you know, she also sort of keeps herself at arm's length. So there's a moment in Beaches of Agnes where she's talking about the death of her partner and longtime collaborator 
writer, Jacques Demy, who died of AIDS in 1990, mm-hmm. watching it this time around. And I didn't think of it like at the time because I was just coming to her. So I didn't know anything about her. And just these little bits was enough. But this time around, I was really kind of frustrated because I wanted to know so much more about their relationship and how it worked. And clearly, like, she loved him, uh, loved him so deeply. And she even made a film about his life. But there's still a, a real hesitation on, on her part to sort of let the camera get as close. So there's something, I guess, what I'm trying to say is there's something really intentional about what she's doing. Like She's still very much in control. And mm-hmm. I think we sort of think of her now, and I, I hope this doesn't last, but, you know, it's this story of, you know, like, comfy old lady who's just a little, just funny, but actually she's, like, quite knowing in, in what she's doing and she's making all of these deliberate choices and there's some <clears throat> bits of, well, not some, but quite a lot of her personal life that she keeps to herself. So I just thought that was interesting. You mentioned the memification of, Ad- of Agnes Varda, and that's kind of been a big, like, talking point in the last couple Mm. of years since Faces Places came out and you know Twitter especially has been kind of flooded by like screen caps and you know the image of her in the potato suit and there was the whole cardboard cutout she was yeah literally turned into a cardboard cutout with her and a a cat on her shoulder and um, I think that as a meme expert (laughs) some might might call me I think um, one of the things I got from this film is obviously like learning the context of these things is very like really kind of nice and educational and I don't mean that in a kind of like stuffy way I mean that in a kind of, I was like fascinated to hear her talk about the uh, Venice mm-hmm. Biennial where she did this exhibition about potatoes mm-hmm. which is it actually looked great and I yeah. wish I had been there but I think that one of the elements of Varda that I do really like I am very much kind of into and like enjoy is that I think she's always kind of been in on the joke when it comes to like the public perception of her with the cardboard car especially like she sent that to the Oscars like she's kind of I think she's as Kelly's just been saying she's very in control of the image of her and the perception of her and I'm really interested to see you know now she has passed away kind of how this changes and what her legacy is because I think she's so remarkable at letting you feel like you are getting really close to her yes but then actually after the fact you're kind of like wait a second (laughs) you know she's kind of a magician in this like amazing way that she shows you the deep facets of other people's lives but she always kind of keeps something back Mm. for herself so what scores would we give Varda by Agnes and then to follow would we recommend that or Beaches of Agnes yeah I mean I probably like a a four in anticipation I'd Mm -hmm. heard a lot of good things about this and then maybe a three just because I did feel and this is totally on me rather than like an argument about the film I think I didn't really feel it was doing much for me personally it's not my bag it's not really what I am like into as a film critic and as a personal viewer but I will say like having this conversation and also like kind of thinking more about like Varda herself in retrospect it's probably a four just because mm-hmm. I'd really like to go now and like watch more of her films and kind of delve a bit deeper into mm-hmm. her as a filmmaker. Kelly? It's just fours across the board <laughs> for <laughs> me um, but uh, you know as we have pointed out I am a huge uh, Varda stan so um, I would recommend this to people just because I think it's interesting to one of the things that's really implicit in what she's talking about that she doesn't like say it outright is a lot of the concessions that she also had to make as a female filmmaker and mm-hmm. also the things that she wouldn't do. Just briefly, there's a, a moment where she's talking to Sandrine Bonaire, who was the main character in Vagabond, and they have an exchange where Sandrine was like, you didn't make it easy for me. <laughs> um, I think she's a fascinating 
character or was a fascinating character. And I do want to prepare people who are huge Varda stands for the final scene. I won't tell you what it is, but if you love her, like it leaves you breathless. So just be prepared for the last shot. But yeah, I love her a lot and I love this film. This it is quite similar to Beaches of Agnes, but I I feel like I got a lot from it and mm-hmm. it's always fascinating to hear her talk about her process and uh, how she uses space and how she incorporates photography and documentary elements into her, her films. I think she's a, an incredible director. So if I think it's worth it to come to this film for this to you know be um, your introduction to Varda. Um, even if you don't like her, maybe you <laughs> might share Hannah's opinion. But I think it's just rewarding either way. Like it's, it's not a boring film. It's really interesting. So yes, four, four, four. Oh, that's that's terrific. I, I think personally, coming to this, I'm still relatively new to Agnes mm-hmm. Varda, really. I've seen Cleo Five Seven Faces, Places, and now these documentaries. Yeah. And they're incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to see such a multifaceted artist take control of their career and shape. And we have Martin Scorsese or Quentin Tarantino talking so much about their movies, yeah. but they don't do it with, with as much art or mm-hmm. uh, openness or generosity yeah. in the way that Varda does, the way that she revisits one of the best sequences that appears in both these films is when she revisits the location where she shot her first film, Le Pancourt, mm. and is showing off-cut footage to the families of yeah. the people who were in the original film, the non-actors who yeah. were in that film. But, what, 40, 50 years on? The yeah. generosity of her, not only as a filmmaker, but as a person, really can't be understated. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and I think that's one of the things that comes through the most in the fact that you know everyone who has worked with her and everyone who kind of interacts with her in the film has this kind of like such a reverence for her and they're so kind of like keen to like catch up Mm. with her and talk to her and it's obvious that she is so much more than just a director who would go into their lives and shoot a film and then come out again Mm. you know she's very much like it is just totally about the kind of um, the way humans interact with each other and yeah. I think even if even for someone like me who isn't that into Vada I find humans fascinating mm-hmm. and that I think it's a great film about human dynamics yeah. and so. this uh, my last thing I promise <laughs> <laughs> I will stop standing <laughs> I will let everyone in the room go but I also think like it's also really understated what a comprehensive filmmaker she is because she talks mm. about her philosophy of oh man I, my French is bad mm-hmm. but Sydney Scripture Sydney Scripture yes yeah. yes thank you her, uh, which cinema writing and her approach to it, I think you can easily tell. And also, we have so much more access to directors nowadays, so we know that a lot of it is just intuitive. And mm-hmm. I can think of quite a few right now who you know they have like amazing vision, but they do not know how they got there. They could not <laughs> tell you about it, and sometimes it doesn't pan out because they don't know how they got there. Mm-hmm. But she's clearly like thinking about it in this really conscious, meticulous way. She's mapped out which she's doing and she knows that it requires all of these elements it's all really artful and thoughtful and she's great so just let me just recommend watch Agnes Varda films you can watch Black Panthers you can watch Le Bonaire you can watch The Gleaners and I everything's great like you can't go wrong <laughs> so you would recommend Agnes Varda over, over the Lion King this week would you say I'm on the fence but it's Varda squeezes out <laughs> thank you both so much for your opinions this week. So Varda by Agnes and The Lion King, both in cinemas, and The Beaches of Agnes is available to rent and stream from your favoured renting streaming service of choice. Next week we have The Current War, dramatisation of the pioneering electric system. I think we should respect that pun. I think it's a great nice pun. A very funny, a very mm-hmm. funny joke. It would have been even funnier two years ago. <laughs> 
Um, this yes, is, the, yeah, yeah, the, the history mean, being this, the, this the, premiered in Toronto two years ago yeah, almost. it was kind of held up because um, it was a Weinstein film mm-hmm. and all the kind of films that he had on the site got shelved and now it's finally coming out and it looks fine. I mean, I'm on the pod <laughs> next week so I'm sure like we'll talk, well, you won't talk about it because you're not here but the film itself looks fine but there are some questions I have and also... <laughs> A lot of them revolve around the poster for this film. So one of my questions for you, Hannah. So this film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland. It also has Michael Shannon. My boy? Is yes, Michael Shannon one of your boys? Michael Shannon's one of my boys. Okay. One of my boys as well. We Someone stand. needs to keep this list going yeah. because we're, we're going to be any, adding to it. If anyone wants to start that at home. <laughs> Hannah's boys. <laughs> We've got Adam Driver, Jake Gyllenhaal, Oscar Isaac and Michael Shannon so far. So uh-huh. Is Tom Holland not on that list? Uh, I feel like his parent rather than oh. like he's my boy. All the way through Spider-Man Far From Home, I was just like, I want to adopt him yes, and Zendaya and like keep them safe. They're adorable. Shield them from the world. Not Benny Digged? No, no. Well, he's not one of my boys. <laughs> Do not like Benedict. Well, that's the current war. Tune in <laughs> next week to see what Hannah makes of that, whether Michael Shannon is still on the list or not. We also have Marianne and Leonard, Words of Love, which is a documentary about Leonard Cohen and his muse Marianne. And then for Film Club, because it's a bit restoration and a re-release, is Park Chan-wook's Old Boy, one of the best films so of the 21st century I'm so, so far. I'm going to be here to talk about that. I mean, I'll watch that. I, I can phone watch. in, I'm sure, from Glasgow. <laughs> and, and here's Michael from Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> be great. Anyway, Kelly, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm Michael Eder. And as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.